Hello and uh, welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, our first guest episode. We are still the One True Podcast. We've been allowing Leighton to fuck up Hinduism since January of 2009. You know, I don't understand how I'm the one that's always picked on on this podcast. Don't you people know that I have feelings somewhere down in my gullet? Actually, allowing Leighton to fuck up any and all research since January of 2009. (laughs) What are you talking about? I don't... Do any research. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the um, point of the podcast, the meat of the matter. We have uh, an actual. I don't think we should talk about meat. Uh, we are. No, no, no. I, I eat everything. <laughs> so. Well, all right. In that case, let's talk. And about I meat. can religiously justify every single meat that I eat. <laughs> Even cow. Even cow. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get to that in a in a moment. <laughs> All right. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself and, and tell us uh, what your background is and how you're going to school Leighton on Hinduism since yeah. he didn't know shit about it. Yeah, this well, his whole reason of coming on is because I did such an ass-backwards job <laughs> on Hinduism. And, and, and also, I'm probably your on, only Hindu listener. So. <laughs> well, out of a, bil- a few listeners, so I yeah, out of a billion one, so that's a good start. We're, we're making inroads. <laughs> yeah. uh, I work at an university. I have too many degrees and way too many years in school, and I'm a but I'm mechanical engineer. Mechanical so, engineer. Yeah. But I, most of the stuff that I read and do, I have nothing to do with mechanical engineering, and that's what people tell me why I didn't really make it big there. <laughs> Typically, that's so, what happens, right? You graduate in something, and then you go off to do something else. I mean, my degree was in philosophy, and uh, I'm a doctor, so. Yeah, but I, I for the doctor part, you better do it right, right? Well, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That's why I they don't call think it. he has a very good time of doing it right. Uh, I mean, you ought to see the amount of joy he gets out of causing other people pain. That's why they call it the practice of medicine, right? I just keep practicing. <laughs> you never really achieve it. You just practice it. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to see one patient that he has achieved. Uh, so I grew up Hindu, but my it's a very typical thing in the part of India where I come from, where you probably have one parent which is, who is kind of not so taste, maybe even atheist, and typically is the father, and the mother is generally a standard practicing person, nothing uh, thinking too much about it, but practicing how it goes. So that's how it was. My father was actually, at, at least at some point, fairly strong atheist. You have discussed Ganesha, right, last time, the elephant god? Um, briefly. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> we just so, kind of brought you know, it up. In, in its this. many ways, one of the things that Ganesh is associated with is success in business. So my father, first time when he became manager of a branch of a bank, he goes in, takes charge, goes into the locker room where they keep the money and sees the Ganesh there. So the first thing he does, he takes it out, turns it upside down and puts it in the front of the office. Turning a Ganesh upside down means that the business goes out of business. <laughs> I <laughs> that like was a, that. That was a fairly early training. Actually, I mean, of course, he's in India now. He's, uh, I don't think he's that kind of strong atheist any longer. But that's beside the point. Now, did the business uh, fail after he did that? I hope so. Oh, 
Uh, no, it did not. Actually, that's the problem. I mean, some of the th these are the scientific way of mm, proceeding. You can mm, falsify the claim. Yeah. So eat that, Ganesh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think Ganesh uh, really likes being upside down because then the water gets up his trunk and he starts coughing. Yeah, and you know, time to time, that's one of the jokes that come in. Some <laughs> temple will claim that the Ganesh is actually drinking water and milk through his trunk. <laughs> and then, like, tons of people will show up there, the temple will make some money, and then someone will figure out, but by the time the person who had to make the money had already made the money. <laughs> it works. It works, yeah. But when I was uh, in fifth grade, I was already in seven different schools because my father had a transferable job. So he decided that it's best for me to go into a boarding school and I took the entrance examination to this super elite boarding school and I don't know how but I got through. So from 6th grade to 12th grade I stayed there and it was all boys uh, boarding school run by an organization called Ramakrishna Mission and which is, I would put it at least today's context, in the very liberal age of Hinduism. But that is theologically. There was nothing liberal about the way we lived our life there. I mean, every moment was within a routine. You do that at 6.05, you do that at 6.07, and there, it was very Spartan living. There was prayer like seven times a day. Oh, wow. So, now, but, that's but, another point, too, because uh, in these areas where the Muslims started taking over, this prayer like three times a day, five times a day, I think was already in existence and they just kind of co-opted that. Isn't that right? It could be, but I think the five pillars of Islam, the uh, uh, prayer and the call to prayer, what you call Ajahn, that al was already there in Arabia before the Muslims came to India. Right, yeah. I do not know that. I do not know if there was a cross-pollination there and I doubt that the Hindu influence had gone back over to the Arabian practice of Islam and the rest. I think Muhammad was actually an elephant. <laughs> Turned upside down on his that, head. That's why they don't like you to draw pictures of him. <laughs> that's why the pictures are banned. Yes. yes. That must and, be why they don't like uh, Hinduism so much. Uh, that actually I will kind of disagree with you, but let's go step by step. Uh, anyway, so that's where I got most of my religious learning, all by osmosis. We had, a, besides the regular state uh, decreed curriculum, we always had a class. It was a separate class taught only in that school and the schools of that, that organization. It was called Indian Culture. And the Indian Culture course was a pretty much of a religious course, but not the kind that you would have in a Catholic school or even a Jewish school here. I go into my sixth grade, the textbook is The Religious Leaders of the World, and it starts with Yarathrasta and Moses and so on. No Hindus to be found in that book. So that was the basic theme of that school, and the person who, whose name the place is named, Ramakrishna, he actually coined in Bengali the term, this, there as many ways there are to, are there all the ways lead to the same thing. I know this has been said by many people, but he said it in a very succinct manner. So and he, then, he thinks that all religions of the world are aspects, some aspect of the truth. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, Leading back to Brahman, I guess. Yeah, so all 
that's the part where they want to keep silent. They do not want to claim it all leads back to the same God we believe in, but all have truth in it. Right. Uh, so it's a, they want to make it a little bit broader. And this is, again, this particular theme and the organization. So they also, pretty early on, by the time we could learn, one of the uh, monks, he came and said, you know, tolerance is a very dirty word. I don't want you to be tolerant. And we were kind of shocked. What does it mean? And I thought this place is different. They said, no, tolerance means you know that guy is going to hell. You know that guy is going to eternal life and birth. Why do you tolerate him? No, you accept that. Acceptance is the word. <laughs> I, so, you know, actually, <laughs> that, that, that's actually not a bad point. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, tolerance means kind of that you... Uh, yeah, you, you tolerate. You, that's not you, a very positive right. word. You know that they're wrong, but you just kind of give your tolerance to them. You, you allow them to continue to exist, or to allow them to continue. Allow to them wrong. to continue down the bad road. In uh, yeah, yeah, acceptance. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, acceptance means that you see the difference and you just don't care. Yeah. And the fact is, if I did not go to that school, I may not even call myself Hindu anymore. Huh. It's like you know, there are many Jesuits. I mean, people who went to Jesuit school and went through the their culture. They remain Catholic, although they generally don't agree with much of the church doctrine, because they often have this positive feeling about the Jesuits. Actually, the same is true in India. There are great Jesuit schools in India, and they met some great Jesuit priests. So Interesting. But Leighton doesn't think Jesuits are Catholics anyway. No. Oh. No, I do not. Uh... Yeah, because they believe in social justice? So. <laughs> no, just you because think the name isn't Catholic. Just because the name isn't Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, um, so you went to this school, and this kind of were you? Did you have doubts about Hinduism or? Uh, yeah. Well, he, he was saying that his dad, from the very beginning, right. was uh, was placing these doubts. He's kind in. of an atheist. So, so. I, I went along. I, I learned. I was a generally meek student. I I told. I did what I was told, and didn't fight much. But about ninth grade, that was an interesting point when the Muslim students kind of came off age and they were allowed to start keeping Rosa. You know what Rosa is, right? In, during Ramadan in, in India, we call Ramjan. People don't eat during the day. So the yeah, school right. would yeah, start giving them like early food and they will adjust the, their schedule to match all that. And at that point, some of the Muslim students stopped going to the typical prayer hall saying that, look, I don't believe in it. I will pray, but in my own way. And I was already having doubt. And we had a monk who was in charge of my hostel then. I went and had a chat with him. And he said, as long as you are not disruptive and you just don't sleep extra hour, you are allowed to not come to prayer. Mm-hmm. And which was, which was surpri- which surprised me. And I didn't for the ninth uh, and 10th grade. In 11th and 12th grade, I went to another hostel. So there the monk said, no, it, that, that rule does not grandfather in. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, overall, I, as I mentioned, that it was a very academic place. Otherwise, it just created people who can take exams and do well in exams. And I'm thankful for that. I mean, without that, I would not have gone through my, gotten admission into a good engineering college and did all that. But uh, overall, I learned pretty good stuff from there. And much of it by osmosis, because it's not that I was reading Vedas morning and evening, but whatever was taken out and given to us, I studied, and I continued to read about about religion and uh, 
later on that kept me interested. So you so, still consider yourself a Hindu? I do consider myself a Hindu. Do you, um, what aspects of Hinduism do you still agree with or accept? Uh, you know, I don't know and I don't quite care. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's awesome. No, th this is the case. See, I am, in some people would say, I'm almost a Hindu nationalist in terms of India because, you know, I'm from India but I, and I'll talk a lot about India. But I make a very conscious decision that I am American now. I mean, India is, I am of Indian origin, and that's it. But I know a little bit about that place. So much of it, the culture I grew up with, and the phrases I use, the poetry I read, the um, mythology that is told even in today's literature are related to Hindu philosophy, Hindu background, and I grew up that way. So the analogy is... Uh, similar to Judaism, people yeah. um, are like racially or culturally Jewish, but they don't accept any of the Jewish uh, beliefs. Yeah, that's what that's how I feel uh, most closely with with many of my Jewish friends who are not that religious. I mean, I have some religious Jewish friends too, but yeah, that's that will be the right way to see. Gotcha. There's another piece about Jewish literature and Hinduism that I often think of. Uh, David Plotz, uh, the Slate magazine editor, he about a year back wrote a book called The Good Book. It's actually a good book. It's about the whole Old Testament, and it's a pretty good book. So there he said one thing, that look, guys, all these Canaanites and this, this side, that side, they're all gone. We Jews are still here. And why? Because we wrote it down. And in a way, when I look at the map, from Morocco to Indonesia, it's all Islamic countries mostly. But suddenly in the middle, you see... India, uh, Nepal, and maybe part of Sri Lanka, they are not become a Muslim country. They all have a big Muslim population, but not a Muslim country. I believe that has something to do with the Hindus just writing it down. I mean, over a long period of time, it was a kind of open source scripture. For a long time, people kept adding to it. But that is another aspect where I see some similarity with the, you can remain culturally Hindu, and without having to say, I accept this part, that part, none of that. As opposed to uh, a Muslim, I, they don't allow you to remain culturally uh, That Muslim. is a funny, that's true <laughs> in many places except India. In India, there are many quote-unquote cultural Muslims. Huh. Not as many as that's cultural Hindus, but there are these people, a small group, smaller than Hindus, smaller, but a liberal group of Muslims who are will identify themselves as Muslim because, again, uh, as a cultural position, but they're not really practicing. That's, That's very interesting. I think, and, um, and there are communist Muslims in India. There are Muslims who are pretty secular humanist kind of Muslims, and they're culturally Muslim. They will, when the Muslims are under attack, they will generally support and maybe raise money and all that. And particularly in the Bombay film industry, in the writing, acting community, there's a whole group of those gentlemen and ladies who I admire and like. And they are not like your Ian Hirshiali, who completely renounced Islam. No. I think so, um, I, I would really like to see a move toward that in Islam. I, I yeah. can't imagine. Oh, I can't see that happening. That that would happen, but God, that hard. would be yeah. fantastic. Mm -hmm. But it happened in the past, you know, in the terms of literature. I mean, people like Rumi and others, when they, when they were writing, they were reformists. 
in many cases. So. Yeah, well, they they do have um, built into the religion every 100 years. You know, there's supposed to be this reform and, and revitalization mm -hmm. of Islam. I hope mm -hmm. the next one moves them into <laughs> less religiously prominent and more culturally prominent. Uh, well, well, considering the last reform they did was uh, deciding whether or not to eat a mermaid. Uh, this may take a <laughs> You are really stuck on that, right? <laughs> okay. Nice. So, as I mentioned, there are, of course, today's Hinduism cannot has a lot of thing to do as India grew and kind of the modern Indian movement. Let me say one thing which is a little counterintuitive about Hinduism, which a uh, lot of Hindus take a great pride in, that, oh, we are all one. There can be such a thing called too much tolerance or too much acceptance. Ooh, sounds that, like my brother. And I don't know, I, actually, I did not listen to the whole thing with your brother, so I cannot totally relate to it. Sorry, right, I didn't listen to it either. <laughs> it was hard to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, let me tell you the mm, reason is one of the problem with many Hindus are there had been many reformation movement within Hinduism like uh, of course Buddhism Jainism being the big ones which are well known but there had been many others and even Sikh religion they come kind of started out of Hinduism many Hindus of today would like to say oh they are all actually Hindus and that drives those people crazy <laughs> <laughs> they don't want to be part of Hinduism. They did separate. And even my little bit uh, kind of sub-Hindu group thing. So my family at some point was what's called Vaishnav. They were in a 14th, uh, 15th century reformer called Chaitanya. I mean, those guys, actually the Hare Krishna guys came from that side. So he actually created at that point a different religion called Vaishnavism and it renounced all caste and everything. But within 200 years, they were all back into being Hindu and they became their own caste. Huh. So, and, and the worst part is, see, my last name is Das, Das means slave. And you will see most of the Hare Krishna guys are also Das. What happened is, it lost this, their complete new thinking about religion and how it's, uh, one can reach God and whatever and became part of the rest of the Hinduism from which they started to get out and lose it and even became their own caste and in my family, I don't know at which generation it started they started claiming themselves to be Brahmin which is like the higher caste oh. um, and only in, again, that was again my father's doing we stopped doing these Brahmin celebrations of putting on threads and stuff but yeah, so, and that happens again and again and I'm often talking about primarily Eastern India because that's where I come from. But it happened all over the country. And so Hinduism remains roughly one, but that's because it kind of gobbles back up its offshoots. <laughs> but what, doesn't the, uh, the claim to be in the higher class, doesn't that go against the whole reincarnation belief, though? Because, uh, I mean, if you're born a Das or a slave, Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're claiming to be in a higher class. Wouldn't no, that no, no, be... the born, not born slave. You just uh, dis declare yourself to be the slave of God Vishnu. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so you renounce whatever your prior castes were. Everybody who joins in that group, clan, sect, whatever you call it, I renounce my prior, whatever my caste was, and I am from today onwards, I am slave of Vishnu. 
So I hope he pays better than we pay our slaves. <laughs> but I thought you were moving to Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're trying to still decide where we're getting our children from. Uh, yeah. A lot of votes for American children this time. Vishnu pays in karma, Layton. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I have to wait and get it either in this life or the next one. Right. So <laughs> that's a lot of waiting. So let me tell you another piece of this whole reformation thing. I mean, the only reason, again, Hinduism survived is because of these reformations. So it was the early part of the British Empire in Bengal. That time, British actually did not have the rest of India yet. And the upper educated class of Bengal pretty much started wholesale conversion to Christianity. And people would graduate from college and become Christian. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but not as much as rest of your podcast does. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they were called themselves Young Bengal, and it was pretty understandable. Because at that point, much of the Hinduism was pretty much following certain rituals all your life. So they were going against that and becoming... So some of the other more reformist Hindu leaders, what they did, they said, we are no more Hindu. We start a new religion, we call it Brahma, going from your Brahman, okay? And that became actually a extreme monotheistic and almost Islamic in its nature in not uh, uh, having any idols and all that direction. And they attracted the upper crust of the Bengali society. At that point, in the first hundred years of the British Empire, the, uh, at that time from Bengal, the literature, culture, even later on, movies and ev those people were all coming from these Brahma families. And they moved on. Now, there is hardly anybody called Brahma anymore. They again became Hindu. Hmm. Maybe many of them non-practicing like me, but they are no more Brahma. So rather than just simply writing it down, it's the fact that Hinduism keeps redigesting all of its children. <laughs> yeah, and that works very well. It's it's like evolution in practice with re religion right now. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. that, and that actually creates this, at least in the period where we are growing up, a strong liberal branch of Hinduism, and much of it also had to do with, you may have heard of the first Indian Prime Minister, Nehru, who was an agnostic. And in his writings and all, he really never, ever, unlike Gandhi, relates to God. And he picked up pieces of Indian scripture, which are very cerebral, very all-encompassing kind of. And many of people like us, like the, what one would say, liberal Hindus, often head back to those. Have you heard of a uh, particular thing called the Song of Creation? No. It's from Rig Veda? No. I mean, it goes something like this. I mean, I'm telling it from my head, so don't count on it. <laughs> it goes at the end that he, the first origin of this creation, whether he formed it all or did not form it, he verily knows it, or perhaps he knows not. <laughs> so it's well, complete mumbo-jumbo, but the mumbo-jumbo is, mumbo is we just don't know. Right. That's yeah. refreshingly honest, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Either no, he did it or he didn't. Yeah. And if yeah. he did it, he knows, but if he didn't, he doesn't know. <laughs> I and, love it. And in the popular culture, in the 1980s, there was one point, uh, these big Bombay filmmakers made these um, Hindi serials of Ramayana and Mahabharata, which you did not mention much in terms of religious literature. But most I blame, people... I blame Leighton for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually the one to blame yeah. 
but most people actually do not read Vedas. Even Upanishads, uh, and some people like me read Upanishads a little bit, but again, that's because of my background with that school. Sure. But most of the people read Ramayana and Mahabharata. These are the two epic literature which were originally in Sanskrit. And again, I would go back to that word for a long time. They were the open source scriptures. So everybody contributed to it and slowly grew. And maybe about a thousand years back, the story kind of agreed upon and that's the text. So this, I mean, this also highlights the difference between polytheism and monotheism. The the canon was left open for um, hundreds of years, right? Oh, it's still open. It's still open. It's still open. Yeah, you can just you can add to it as you go. Yeah. Yeah, and the gods gods get into the. Um, I mean, we have a cabinet system of gods. You must have figured it out already. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all these gods they have their own departments. I mean, some people are gods of wealth, some are gods of music, god of um, literature, all that way. Who's the god of intercourse? Uh, that would be Kama. That is Kama. That the Kama yeah. Sutra. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're, uh, they're I a god for everything. I think if I was going to be a god, I think I'd be a god of intercourse. Uh, yeah, I mean... Charlie, people, you're not good enough for that. That's... You know, there are, there are stories <laughs> in Indian mythology which will be like the god of... king of gods, who is actually more like the secretary general than the theological king. is called Indra. Once he pissed off a big sage, and the sage cursed him to have thousand vaginas on his body. That's only a curse once a month, though. The rest of the time, it's great. Later later on, later on, some good fairy came by and don't hold me on that. I don't remember all the details to convert those into eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I'd kick the guy who converted him into eyes' ass. (laughs) And you were talking about hermaphrodite god. Yeah, that is true. We had a god who is literally called half. Half man, half woman. And it was a it was a sage who cursed the god. He had that yeah. power to do that. Yeah, that that worked very much because many of the sages were considered more powerful than these kind of lower level deities. Wow. Oh, wow. I like that. That, that kind nice. of brings us into the godmen of uh, uh, India or Hinduism and we didn't yeah. cover that at all. So could you no, explain you can you explain yeah, thanks, what that thanks. means? <laughs> Yeah, but those those are the real rascals. You know, these are like so. Today we have a Oral Roberts kind of guy, yeah, whose name is Ramdas. You know, he's he has a big empire of yogic teaching and health food and the whole thing, and he's pretty popular. Actually, you know, the yoga if it's exercise, if you do it, you get physical benefit, no doubt about sure. it. Sure, sure. Mm, and I don't argue there, but he now is going into this BS of He's going to cure HIV. He's going to cure diabetes. And he's going to, of course, has to, all Godmen has to do, cure being gay. <laughs> Charlie, I think you should subscribe to this. Really I love cool. it. Yeah, that, that's the top three. I'm going that's to cure three, yeah. HIV, so, diabetes, and homosexuality. Yeah. Uh, you know, the damn homosexuals are taking over the entire world, so, I mean, we are at war. So I got a couple penguins I'd like this guy to meet. <laughs> no, no, gate, you leave the yeah. penguins alone. <laughs> They're gonna shiv this god man just like they shivved Kent Hoven. <laughs> now, the, you know, last year there was one period of complete religious unity all over India. You know when the 
Delhi High Court, which is not the Supreme Court, which is like the Second Circuit Court, like the Washington D.C.'s um, appellate appellate court. Gotcha. Yeah. They nullified one piece of Indian Penal Code, uh, which made homosex being homosexual a criminal activity. I mean, it's nothing seriously liberal. All it did is it decriminalized being gay. When was that? Last year? It was last year. It's wow. actually, that was not part of Hinduism or anything. That came from the British Penal Code. And it just stayed in the book. So that's a holdover oh. from their empire. Yeah, well, it just stayed wait, in the wait, books. Wait. So what would happen before? I mean, would they actually throw people in jail no. for being homosexual? No, it's probably it probably wasn't just, enforced. It just gave the opportunity for the cops to get bribes, cops to, or others to harass people. You see two guys holding hands in a corner, you try to say, I'll throw you in jail and charge you with X unless you pay me money. So it was, and luckily for us, currently the government which is in power uh, did not um, challenge the high court ruling. And that's now is the law of the land. But anyway. Well, they don't have to. They're about to cure homosexuality. (laughs) (laughs) But immediately, of course, from Catholics to Muslims to Hindus, all the leaders, they started saying, this is terrible law. (laughs) How could (laughs) you do this? How how could could you decriminalize uh, Yeah, I mean, how could you... I mean, we we need to keep following the British old-time British laws, otherwise we lose all our (laughs) cultural heritage. (laughs) Cultural heritage, I like falling back on that one. Yeah, imposed cultural heritage, that's fantastic. So these are... um, so they so rose up. Guys, yes. They rose up as one against uh, decriminalizing homosexuality. Yeah. But it's again, a- as I mentioned, uh, luckily the central government in India today uh, had the sense of just letting it go. They did not take any affirmative action. Good. They just let the court ruling stand. Uh, th- this is essentially, you know, my problem with religion, and, and this is why the separation of church and state is so important. These assholes um, will. Uh, legislate their own peculiar version of morality into the code give them any bit of political power and bam it's going you're going to be living under catholic rule or or uh, I, I com- completely agree i mean we had very interesting though india is officially actually it's the technical name of the country includes the word secular so it's the secular republic of india actually nepal used to be the only hindu country in the world until last year so in Nepal, these communist guys came to power and declared it to be secular nation now. It's unfortunate oh. that those hardcore guys have to do it, but that's, it took them to come to power to do it. And they made it secular because communists are atheists. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, <laughs> if I go into these stories, this will just blow you off. The South Asia is a crazy place. So that, <laughs> <laughs> let me dive for it. So in Nepal, the biggest temple... Is Pashupatinath Temple. Easy to pronounce, right? That's one name of Shiva. I think Charlie should try to pronounce that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Leighton. <laughs> anyway, so that's the biggest temple. It's, I mean, uh, besides Everest, that's the most well known uh, landmark in whole of Nepal. And historically, the priests for that temple came from India. So now these leftist guys come to power. They say, no, 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 we want to get away with that tradition we will have our own priest. So they declared the country to be no more Hindu country, but they tried to influence the practice of the temple. I mean, this chart state separation should go both ways, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Leave Absolutely. Them alone. And then the funny thing, one of those, um, what should I say, these cultural Muslim leaders I told you about, yeah. she's a big, yeah. big actress in India, and she's kind of known to be leftist sympathizer, was friendly with those Nepalese guys. She goes there and lobbies to them, don't do that, that will hurt the relationship between India and your country. Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> so let's think of a non-faced Muslim going to a communist leader telling that they should continue a certain Hindu practice. <laughs> <laughs> now that's lobbying. Yeah. <laughs> that's lobbying, yes. The politics makes strange bedfellows, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these days, literally. <laughs> I think you're trying to say something about that there, actually. Haven't you heard that Family Research Council guy and uh, rentboy.com, right? No. <laughs> anyway, so I, I divert. When we were growing up, we in practice did not see much of this secularism in day-to-day -day life. And we, I mean, like me, being in the majority, never really thought much about it. We had worship of this goddess of education in our schools, and not just in that school I went to, any public school. And we will have kind of shut down the place for two weeks, the whole uh, cities in my part of the country, and there will be these temporary erections of structures for the worship of goddess Durga. And then at the beginning of this Durga festival, there will be a special radio program talking all, all about Durga. And we just did not see much about it. I mean, now after being in the U.S. for several years, and actually many years, you don't get it from my accent, um, <laughs> now I kind of see we were screwed. I mean, we were not following any idea of being secular. We just right. kind of put that in the name. Not now, that we were going out and killing Muslims, but we were actually taking advantage of our majority. Yeah, you yeah. Um, you were in a private school, though, right? You weren't in a public school. Oh, those are funny things. So these will be like <laughs> the way our school was. That's what the Catholic schools want here, that the state pays the teachers. We only paid for our room and board. Gotcha. Okay? But the school was a private entity, and it was allowed to teach in addition to the regular school curriculum religion. I see. Yeah, and I think that's okay as long as they don't get any state funding. If they get state funding... Oh, they, they, they did get state funding. Well, they did get state yeah, funding for the teachers. The teachers. Yeah, that's yeah that, should, teachers. that should come with strings, and that yeah, needs yeah, but to be said. You know, India has a whole madrasa system also, funded by the government. Yeah, I think um, the United States is pretty uh, rare, I think, as far as not having a state religion. Yeah, well, it's, as it's, long as no, India does that, in India, that's the funny thing. It does not have a state religion. Very strongly, it does not have a state religion. But it does all that. But it funds the hell out of Hinduism. <laughs> oh, and, and others too. I mean, for the Jesuit, in the Jesuit schools also, the teachers get paid by the state. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's and, kind of and, Yeah, now, in Turkey is a secular nation too, in quotes, but, I mean, they can get pretty religious as well. Yeah, actually, Turkey, as, I mean, I have many Turkish friends, uh, but I know, although the people are very westernized in the big cities and every place, uh, the other religions try to stay, set up new things, get into a lot of problems. Right, sure. I mean, it's heavily, but, heavily Muslim. Yeah, but compared to the rest of the Muslim world, Turkey is very, very open. 
Sure, relatively speaking, compared to other Iron Age uh, <laughs> religions. No, no, it's actually, I will, go, I will go a little better than relatively speaking. It's actually, the at least in the big cities and all, and I see the people I talk to on a, I mean, often not really on a day-to-day basis. There's a whole group of a very, very open-minded society there. What's... Um, what is the burqa like in Turkey? Have they got any laws in the oh, books about I have to tell you this story. <laughs> so, I, so I spent um, some time, two, three years back, Yeah, I spent two weeks in Ankara. I went there to their equivalent of NASA, which is really, really small, but their equivalent of NASA, to do some teaching. And they were, you cannot believe how aggressive hosts they were. They were killing me with graciousness. So every evening I'll go out with them and eat and I gain 10 pounds. <laughs> Not a single burqa to be seen in the places where I went around. As general tourist places and all. I mean, people were dressed. Some people are dressed very western and others were dressed modestly. Then I come, I'm at the airport. I'm at the airport uh, where a flight, I'm coming back. The flight to Munich will take off. And there I see in the waiting area, there is hundreds of women covered head to toe. These people had left Turkey 50, 60, 70 years back. They are in different European countries now, but they leave that 50, 60, 70 year old Turkish life in those European cities. Later on, and actually sometimes later on and sometimes together, I met Turkish, a lot of Turkish people in Germany and Austria, mostly Austria. Uh, when I went there as a tourist, I would, I'll go there for eating. And they were very different people. They were much more pious, religious people, and completely not as westernized as the people in Turkey. Interesting. But that, first I thought of as a criticism of Islam. Then I thought, what am I doing? I mean, I often, I try to be open, but I do think about India when I left, 20 years back. I read the stuff from that time. I watch the movies of that time. I... I'm, I'm not putting on a burqa. I mean, I hope I know I'm not. But <laughs> I'd like to see you in a burqa. Yeah, you don't like to see me. You are, talk, you, are, you are just worried listening to me. If you see me, you will run. But anyway, so um, yeah, I did not see burqa in the cities at all, in the main tourist areas and all. But I saw more of that among the people who were in Europe, but they left Turkey a long time back. I wonder if it's more just clinging to your past culture rather than... Yeah, it is. Okay. So some of the couple of other things where I thought you went pretty easy on Hindus, one was the caste system. You will meet a lot of Hindus who would say, yeah, it's not, not part of the religion, it just grew out of necessity at some point, and these are just separation of people's occupation. It's not. There is very clearly a upper caste, middle caste, and lower caste. So that practice stays on. That practice is mm, often results with violence, mm, sometimes direct, sometimes indirect. And the attempts for this quota for lower mm, caste, so-called lower caste, is taken as big affront by the upper caste. And of course, there is some mm, overplay on both sides. But that is one of the worst things there. See, I go to... mm, Actually, I go to temple, I must say. I, my wife is very religious, so I go to temple with her. And in the, even in the temples in the United States, all the priests are from the 
priestly class of Brahmin. They, I mean, there may be very occasional changes, but they are, that's how they are. Well, now with the with the caste system still going, I mean, uh, the eight kinds of marriage that we were talking about before, some of them just kind of craziness. Yeah. Uh, is that still in practice? Nah. The, those marriage part, those are, I mean, you got them from Manushanghita, which is, I told you, it's like the old books of the Bible, and which is, I mean, most Hindus don't even know they exist, but that's abomination, that whole book. Huh. But even today, the caste and related caste clan systems going with way marriages do result in a lot of violence. And I mean, we hear about this, I hate to use that term, honor killing in Muslim world, but yeah. it does happen in India quite a bit. Well, what's the rationale for that? They marry outside their caste? or One would be marrying outside their caste. Other would be marrying ins- inside their clan. You know, we also have some sort of Adam-Eve story. When We cannot go, go into all of that. I mean, there is one guy, there was a flood even in Hindu tradition. Okay, so the first avatar was actually the fish avatar who came and saved the world at that point. So there's so after the, that, yeah, the world was saved by a fish. Yes, fish. Yeah, but he was an avatar of Vishnu. Ah. Okay, so he's the first. So avatar. how do you how do you justify eating fish then? That fish saved the world because he tastes good. Have to be, if you have to justify <laughs> a religion, we, we would be. <laughs> But in any case, so there is this first one guy, Manu, who, is the, uh, who will be the Noah equivalent. And then there are these eight sages from which everybody is supposed to have come. So every Hindu is kind of assigned a gotra, that is clan. And one is not supposed to be marrying within their own, own gotra. I see. And of it's course, like, it's, it's like incest. Yes. Of course, it's not generally enforced, but there are certain parts of the country there it becomes a big issue. Uh, Damn, because about... my sister's hot. I'm not going to your country. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's, I mean, as you can imagine, if you break up one billion people into eight clans, right. <laughs> it's, pretty, yeah. hey, it's, it's not like your cousin you are marrying. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, too bad. <sighs> that's... Um... Over, but there, yeah, there was a that's like 150,000 people. You are wait, 150, 150 million, 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 150 million. You're excluding immediately from your dating yeah, pool. Yeah, 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 that's rough. But not 150, actually 75. Uh, gay marriage is still not legal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's even worse. Yeah. <laughs> But in any case, so there was a, a pretty well-publicized case of this, that uh, a young couple were killed by the family members because they married within their clan. And now uh, those people who are caught, they went to trial and been actually they are given death penalty. That's wow. still legal in India. It doesn't happen much, but it's legal. Now the people in that, that part of the country, some people, a group, is trying to pass a law to say that it should be officially banned to marry within your gotra. And they're trying to <laughs> yeah. get the local members of parliament to sign up, otherwise they will be ostracized. Again, it's not good enough for these people to just live and let live and you know not marry within their own gotra. They want no one to marry within their own gotra, exactly. and uh, they want to legislate that. And again, you know, this is morality. This is everywhere, was, yeah. It was set in stone 3,000 years ago, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, in Gotras this case... 
<laughs> and probably farther apart. <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, difficult going on. You know, there are people who kind of try to follow these rules, okay? So how do they work it out? Let's say you have, I mean, it doesn't happen that much anymore, but it did happen in relatively recent past. So they boy, boy meets girl, girl meets boy. They are from the same gotra. They are not supposed to marry. Parents are open to it. They will technically give up the daughter who will be adopted by a family of a different gotra, then they will marry. So <laughs> it's a very what odd way of... Hell? <laughs> I don't know. So they're going, what? <laughs> yeah. So they, they they do an end run around it, essentially. Yeah, and the end run is the greatest part in Hinduism. You already told, kind of incorrectly, that you go to the <laughs> river Indus to wipe off your sin. It's actually mostly the river Ganges that get that credit. You wipe up your sin and you get all other kinds of diseases. <laughs> That's a different thing. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, I mean, it's the symbol of the country. My daughter is named after that river, but it's so polluted. But yeah, you can go to, go to uh, different specific times in different parts of the Ganges, take a dip and wipe off your sin. That's and then a, run to the hospital right afterwards. It's, it's, no, actually it's worse. I mean, okay. So the point is, actually those are, traditions. I took a dip in Ganges many times. I like trekked to the beginning of the river Ganges and all of that. It was a beautiful scenery. But religion literally kills and every single year. We will have these special days when you take a dip and you wipe off all your sins, sins of your forefathers, somewhat like the Mormons yeah. and all of that. Every year or so there will be a stampede and hundreds of people would die. It's a combination of both religion problem so that people would think this is true. And also the problem of law enforcement and these people not having any crowd control. But the result of it is every year there are deaths. So people those, are, are little, literally crushed to death. Literally this. crushed to death every year. Just like it happens time to time at during the Hajj. Yeah, for Muslims, wow. yeah. Yeah. Um, but they don't care because they want to die on the Hajj. <laughs> Actually, the same thing people kind of say. I mean, you died in that process, so not only wiped off your sin, you went straight to heaven or whatever it is. That's not a bad deal, then I guess. Yeah, that's not a bad deal. But what? <laughs> there, not a bad deal. What the hell are you two saying? <laughs> you just got trampled to death, and that's not such a bad deal. There's a benefit. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're you're wiped clean in a dirty river. <laughs> I think the most important thing here is that Leighton really uh, screwed the pooch on the Hindu research. <laughs> yes, that is the important so it's thing. Hard. But... It's, it's actually, it's very hard. If you try to get through the genealogy of mm, gods and all, you can never make it through. They don't make sense. And these things evolved over many, many years. Even very devout Hindus agree that many of the major characters of Hinduism, like the characters of Krishna and Rama, they are composite characters built over thousands of years, and sure. they cannot be logically reconciled. Let's sure. not even try. In in Leighton's defense, I get a defense. All, well, this is the first. None of the religions make sense. Hinduism just happens to be a little more complicated. <laughs> yeah. no, but you no, know, let me tell you about this wiping of sin part. Yeah. All right. Go one ahead. of the worst things there are pretty much anything you do, which an you are not supposed to do, forbidden to do in certain time of the moon, you can always pay a Brahmin and clear that up. Oh. There literally will be a particular worship which you do 
and pay the right kind of gifts to the right kind of people and you are done i like this religion <laughs> so it becomes actually really exploitative i mean so people who are worried about whatever i mean generally after life and stuff like that they would go out of their way to perform those rituals spend money who who can lift a foot so it's kind you of like talking, the the catholic indulgences of the middle ages could be yeah i mean i i'm not that up on catholicism to directly say it's equivalent but what i hear is yeah there is similarity essentially you okay. pay money to get your sins washed away basically yeah, 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 yeah you have a good time a really good time and then you pay it off it's like a credit card, in my opinion. It's interesting to me that the, these gods are so interested in material wealth. <laughs> it seems, seems more interesting to their followers. Oh, it's not the but... gods with the priests. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, talking about uh, just the confusion with the gods. Now, I was talking in the last podcast about Hinduism, about how uh, a girlfriend from uh, a while back was trying to tell me how Kali was going through slaughtering just thousands of people and then she yeah. steps on her husband and comes back to herself please enlighten us why the hell is stepping yeah. on him so bad See, Kali is a very complicated situation so there is a whole theology which is more of the female power and there are many versions of that same deity Kali, Durga, Shati they all had been in some form or other wife or concert of Shiva yeah. and Kali happens to be one of the most popular deities in Bengal where I come from and we actually have a complete genre of music which are worship of goddess Kali so she is very important in our part of the country mm. and it is the story you told is just as true true in a very loose manner uh, just as <laughs> theologically true as anything you would say. Let me tell you, and yes, so she goes up on top of uh, Shiva, feels ashamed, that's why her tongue is sticking out, and that's when she stops. But uh, she was actually uh, killing, at that point, at least what's being told to us, bad guys. But still, it's quite a, pretty odd. And Kali was a very important deity um, in Bengal for quite a bit of time, and there are the biggest temple in the city I come generally come from Kolkata the Kali temple there is very influential but there are other versions of Kali one is called Shati and in case of Shati it was a case of there was a big party of the gods and in that party Shiva was not invited so Shati was wife of Shiva in that story Shati goes on to complain and throws herself into fire and dies as a protest well, that's quite the complaint form yeah, so Shiva comes in, she's very, he's very angry, he's carrying the dead body of his wife on his shoulder and making a big mess out of the whole place. So to stop, stop Shiva, Vishnu sends his weapon to cut up Shati into 51 pieces, and that 51 pieces falls into different parts of the world. Of course, at that time, world means India, <laughs> and particularly Eastern India. Those 51 spots are all sacred places. And generally, those 51 spots will have a major Kali temple to go there. Was the weapon that he sent Godzilla? Because I think I saw that movie. No, it's called Sudarshan Chakra. Chakra <laughs> means a wheel. 
you know the closest explanation what was that will smith movie wild west you remember oh, that thing which was chasing yeah. him it's yeah. like he totally stole that idea <laughs> from hinduism <laughs> so it's kind of a steampunk kind of monster that he sent mm-hmm. oh, and then there is the other version which is the biggest and festival in bengal is called durga who is another form of the same goddess which has 10 hands and who each hand was given a special weapon by different gods to kill a specific demon so it's kind of this female power kind of story there are lots of uh, feminist literature which kind of idolizes those stories written in different manner Indiana uh, Jones got it completely wrong. <laughs> so basically, there it's feminist because these women are powerful and destroying yeah, stuff. Yeah, kind of. You know, yeah. there are many many retelling of those stories in modern times. So, but in any case, so that goddess Durga. So there is some sort of theology. I'm, I don't understand. I don't care. Then there is this mythology of this god being created by all other gods and who is killing the demon which has been destroying the heavens. But then. There is a complete folkloric part of it, and that's what keeps her popular. She is the wife of Shiva, right? And Shiva is not a good husband at all. <laughs> so four days in a year, this goddess come to visit her parents with her four kids, and so it's like the girl is coming back home from the not so good husband, spending four days with her parents. That's the folklore. Gotcha. and i'm pretty sure it's that folklore that kept this goddess durga to be the most popular deity in that part of the <laughs> country forever the fourth day when people will take the idol and throw it into rivers that's how all the rivers get that polluted people will cry i mean people who are not very religious would cry they they sympathize with the bad husband Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there ever really a good husband? Ever? <laughs> oh yeah. So that's so why it, that's interesting. That's actually really interesting. So this is so kind we, of a religious experience even for people who aren't religious because they can yeah, um sympathize yeah. with the you know, story. Uh, in uh, like every part of world, I mean where there are like more than 5 Bengali Hindus, they will have a Durga worship. I mean, typically huh. here it's the nearest weekend. People will rent a high school, and there a ton of. I don't really go there anymore, but that's not really protesting against religion. I, I'm not a social guy, <laughs> but many of my friends who are otherwise completely non-practicing will show up there, participate in the cultural Bengali program that go with it, and the children will sing songs, have drawing competition, and all of that. and going by the standard in the spelling bee competition there with a kind of religious facade i mean it doesn't sound like it's really ritualistic or religious itself but it provides the uh, means for which people get together and kind of talk and have social gatherings yeah i i used to kind of complain about i mean what kind of atheist are you going there now i don't do that anymore i'm a, i'm not just, um, like trying to convert others to atheism kind of guy anymore <laughs> You, you carefully might uh, backslide into uh, Shiva worship, or at least why don't I Shiva worship? Or at least Kama Sutra worship, Kama worship. <laughs> Everybody must worship the Kama. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're reaching the end here, but quickly, <clears throat> I don't know if it's possibly quick, but what else did Leighton get wrong in that podcast? 
uh, I, as I mentioned, I think you kind of got stuck into the um, Hindu Mahamujam boy bait <laughs> because there are, of course, a lot of very philosophical talks and there are great, great, great verses. I mean, at a much higher quality than Psalms in terms of the depth of depth and thoughts and all of that. I can believe that. But what it comes down to is, for a lot of people, it's a collection of rituals and it's a collection of uh, kind of social laws which are not really compatible with today and in sometimes they come out in a violent manner. There is this completely aberrant system of caste which is uh, nothing better than worse kind of racism. It's not just Hinduism, of course, it, one can say it's an Indian problem, but it has a lot to do with the religion, and I hope it goes slowly away. Other than that, you know, when you try to think about this, uh, this directly, I, what I would consider wrong, you mentioned the Trinity to be Vishar, Bhagavan, and Parameshwar. Yeah. I never really came across to be that way. All three are pretty much this word for this one God, the ultimate oh. God. Okay. The Trinity is more like Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, and there you got it right. Brahma being the creator, Vishnu being the sustainer, and Shiva being the destroyer. That part you got right, but if first is it cannot be compared with the Christian Trinity. It's totally different, different concept. But if you use the word Trinity, I think that's the Trinity that most people will go by. Uh, then you talked about the avatars, and avatars actually it's the Hindus have 10 avatars, 10 main avatars of Vishnu. And you got one part right there that the avatar is supposed to come when the world is getting bad and he comes in to help the good people, kill the bad people and go away. But the issue is, with time, just as I mentioned in the beginning, like the hegemony, Hindus have expanded that avatar things to grab other people. Like Gautam Buddha is an, Buddha is an avatar. Right, from, from Buddhism. Yeah. yeah. I find it hard so to believe that Leighton got anything right. Yeah, see, uh, I'm striking a thousand if I've gotten one thing right. So, <laughs> so now, those are the ten, right? The ninth being Buddha. Yeah. And yeah. tenth, this is the portion where there is a similarity with the Christian and Judaism ideas. The tenth avatar is yet to come, and he yeah. will come at the end of time. At the end he is of the, the world, Kalki right? avatar. So there was a flood, and there is an waiting for that avatar. So that's Jesus. Okay. Uh, could be. <laughs> or could Joseph be. Smith. Joseph Smith came. Yeah, Joseph Smith came. No, no, no. It's got to come at the end times, though. We so, are in the end yeah. times. He ushered in the end times, Slade. Now, the funny thing is that that whole Kalki Avatar thing is not really a very popular thing. Most folks even don't know about there is such a thing going on. So they but don't. Besides, it's yeah. not like all of Christianity waiting for the second coming of Jesus. It's just kind no, of no, uh, it's obscure. Oh, I gotcha. yeah, just but it's see. part of the avatar thing. Gotcha. The tenth avatar is yet to come. Will come at the end of the time of this yuga. Yuga means epoch. So this is like this is the end of the last. There are four great times. So this is the fourth great time. At the end of it, it will all start all over again. And, and that's of course when uh, who is it Shiva who he closes his eyes Shiva will finish it and then it will start all over again yeah, yeah. Huh. You, do you remember that uh, in the forest gum or there many times those t-shirts that come and shit happens yes As about Hinduism they go like shit this shit happened before <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's a very 
succinct theological statement. I'm, we we may want to make T-shirts late and say Shiva happens, and then just massive destruction everywhere. <laughs> so Shiva is very popular deity. There are people who will be, I mean, doing crazy things about Shiva. It's again, it similarity wise, it's like this Opas Dei people who will hurt themselves with in different ways to show their devotion. Right. There is yeah. one whole day people will do those kind of crazy stuff. All right, That's excellent. Yeah, uh, I think we we spoke quite a bit, and you have a lot of editing to do in your hand. This is pretty fascinating, <laughs> though, because this yeah. is entirely new. You know, we, we're over here in the West. We kind of get stuck into the Western religions and Western philosophy, and there's not a whole lot of Eastern stuff. So to me, it's a lot more interesting than the Western stuff. Yeah, but, but uh, one of the things I always get this. I I meet these very liberal uh, on meet or talk or whatever. Jewish and uh, Christian people, but they really go ahead and fall for the Eastern bullshit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> including like this tantra and mandala and uh, whatever, like astrologies and all these things. Yeah, you've just described my neighbor. Well, I mean, <laughs> essentially, yeah, people think like they're really smart in rejecting Western religion. And then you're right, they fall hook, line, and sinker for all this uh, equally um, ridiculous Eastern stuff that has likewise no evidence to support it. So it's a very good point. I wonder if it's the same sort of idea where if the religion has been around for a really long time, that, that just proves its truth. I think it's more that these people think that they're smart in rejecting the religion of their background. Maybe they're uh, just trying to be different like everybody yeah, else. They're superior. <laughs> Like a bunch of goths. <laughs> All right, so thanks for coming really on. Me. Okay, that, good, yeah. good chatting with you. I'd like to have you back on the show, maybe to discuss a whole episode on God men, because I think that's one of the most fascinating no, things. That's, yeah, that's one of the things. And there are these rationalist association people who have the James Randi type things open, which of course nobody ever can get the money. Of course, you can't, what I'm thinking is we should have him stuff. on. As soon as uh, the HIV, gays, and diabetes yeah. is cured, as if soon as that's cure HIV, if you cure people from being gay, HIV is cured, right? That's, that's true. Absolutely, because it's too, yeah. it's just I'm, a gay disease. I'm, I yeah. mean, I'm seeing a circle here, and I'm just trying to figure out where diabetes and gay men come. <laughs> <laughs> Must be a big problem. You know, when when you know, there's a ton of people who are vegetarian, not me. And we did not go into that cow-eating thing. Maybe that's something to do later. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and when there's a lot of people who are vegetarian, they are also eating a lot of fat and sugar. So there's a lot of diabetes there. Gotcha. It must be a big problem in India. I believe so. You know, I'm myself a diabetic. So I, I think diabetes it. turns people gay, which is why he's trying to... <laughs> We've located the gay gene. It's in the pancreas. <laughs> Who is the doctor among you? That's me. <laughs> so if we uh, maybe let's see, we'd have to figure that out, Layton. The, yeah. the uh, correlation between gayness and the islets of Langerhans in the pancreas. <laughs> it, I think that's that's a valid hypothesis because uh, you know, I mean. Your pancreas starts going out, you get horny, there's a guy. <laughs> it's not your fault. Yeah, it's it's genetic. Mine. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks very much.